0: Analytics with Mike Lewis,
1: the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University.
0: Welcome everyone, Mike Lewis here, and today I'm joined by Taylor Pruitt. Hi
1: everyone.
0: So we're going to do something a little bit different on this episode of the podcast. Okay, so one of the things I, I mention all the time on the, on the podcast is that I'm a professor at Emory University, and I do a lot of work in the, in the sports space. A lot of the, the purpose of this podcast is to provide content for, let's say, aspirational folks, so people that are interested in a career in sports. And so we wanted to take this opportunity to do a special edition where we're going to actually focus on... We'll focus on a bunch of things, but focus a little bit on how an MBA student can leverage a program such as the at the Goizueta School of Business at Emory to develop a career in sports. And so Taylor is the the president? Yes, the president. Taylor is the president (laughs) of an organization at Goizueta called GAMES. What's GAMES stand for?
1: Goizueta Association for Media, Entertainment, and Sports.
0: And so the format's actually going to be a little bit different. Rather than me doing the interview of Taylor, I'm going to actually let Taylor drive the conversation. We also have a live audience for this, so we will hopefully have an opportunity to hear from some, many of the, you guys are mostly first year students? Mostly first year students who have just started to, started down the path of earning their MBAs and considering careers in the world of sports. So, Taylor.
1: Cool. Thanks for the intro. Okay, so you and I have talked about how we'd like to focus today's conversation on how we as students can build our personal brands, but also just generally building brands in the sports industry. Um, so to make sure that all of us here are on the same page, could you maybe outline a couple key elements that you think go into building a personal brand for an athlete or a brand for the team? So what are really the key elements there?
0: Well, that's an, that's an interesting question. It's actually something I have mixed feelings about because when I think about branding, in sports, in people building personal brands, it's almost like I wanna think back to a to an older time yeah. where let's say the game was a little bit more pure because i I think that you know professional sports really does revolve about branding every decision that an athlete makes at this point probably has a bit of branding in the background. I mean, you know, the, the NBA is probably the, uh, the best example or the worst culprit of that, right? Where you, you have athletes like LeBron James, Kevin Durant, who whenever they're thinking about their career moves, they are making a decision based on what's gonna work for their brand. Now, th- th- this has been going on a long time for the NBA, and so, you know, for anyone, even beyond sports, anyone that's interested in the world of branding, you know there's a great history lesson at this point in terms of Michael Jordan where Michael Jordan went from being a basketball player to a brand where he was advertising McDonald's, Nike, Hanes underwear, Ballpark Franks, etc. and that's become the blueprint for athletes across the board and especially in the NBA
1: yeah, and actually, I think that's a that's a cool point. We often think of Michael Jordan versus LeBron James as the player. Can we talk about them? Could you talk about them a bit as their brands?
0: Well, I think you have to. If you're thinking about the LeBron James career, you have to think about Michael Jordan because I think Michael Jordan was the blueprint for LeBron James. I, I think early on in his career, they actually even referenced the Jordan blueprint in terms of, well, we want to take LeBron and turn him into a billion-dollar brand. The Jordan brand was, you know, it was clearly a different era in the in the 1990s. You might say, you know, Michael Jordan smiled a lot more than LeBron James. Yeah. <laughs> um, Michael Jordan was also notoriously less political, apolitical, relative to LeBron James. If I'm thinking about those two athletes, one of the things I always think is interesting is that the Jordan brand, and, you know, maybe this was just more a naive time, seemed less intentional than the James brand, than sure. LeBron James brand, and I mean, th- this move to... Los Angeles seemed, every move that's been made, going down to Miami and building this dream team, going back to the hometown to become the hometown hero, and now going out to L.A. and becoming an entertainment brand, everything seems very orchestrated and very, you know, it's almost, I wouldn't be surprised if LeBron James has a brand manager.
1: Oh, I'm sure he does. (laughs) So, So my next question is actually, that leads well into it. So outside of LeBron and maybe outside of the NBA, who are your favorite athletes that you think are branding themselves well?
0: Oh God, I want to. I want to actually turn to the audience here. I, I don't know that I actually have any. Who? Let me. Let me throw back it back at you. What? That's who unfair. do you like as an athlete that brands itself him or herself well?
1: LeBron's my favorite player, so we've covered him, and I and I love LeBron because of how he plays. But I also love LeBron because he's a businessman, and like you said, I think every move he makes is calculated. See, that,
0: that that's interesting to me. So you love him as a businessman. Do you think a lot of fans? Like him less because he's a businessman? Yeah,
1: that's what I would add, is that I think for some fans, they like him even more. For a lot of people, that like him less because everything is calculated. Are there teams that you think brand themselves particularly well?
0: <laughs> this, this, is a funny, this is a funny topic for me. Um, one of the things that I do, so when I teach sports, and, and you know this, Taylor was in my class last year, I will spend the first couple of sessions talking about my personal journey into fandom. Being a fan of a sports team is a little bit different than you know being a, you know, passionate consumer of some just about any other category, because the level of engagement and the level of passion is so much greater. And and so when I think about, you know, my personal journey into fandom, it's heavily focused on the city of Chicago, the University of Illinois. I, I have some influences from a grandfather that led me to the city of Pittsburgh. I, I think the Pittsburgh Steelers are one of the classiest, and and, and it's, a, it's a funny word to use, because if someone's from, sitting here from Baltimore, they're immediately like, no, that's not classy at all. <laughs> but the Steelers are an example of essentially beautiful marketing. I mean, if you think about the, the history of the Steelers, they've been a successful franchise. They've won. Okay, So let's translate that to MBA lingo. They've had a high-quality product. Okay? and they 've had a high quality product for thirty or forty years, so consistent excellence in terms of the the, the brand that surrounds that they don 't change the uniform much, still the same leg logo, the same color scheme, very little updating. If you think about how they manage their customer base they don 't charge they don 't charge the level of prices that they probably could, even in a market like Pittsburgh. So they do a lot right in terms of going to market, excellence of product, consistency in branding, and you know, an emphasis on not let's say gouging the customers like a lot of a lot of pro sports teams have kind of gotten hit by and la- hit with in the last few years. But let me, let me throw in a little on the negative side of this, oh, okay. too. I, I mentioned the University of Illinois. So the University of Illinois might be the exact opposite in terms of branding, where they fire coaches. You know, the Pittsburgh Steelers have had, I think, three uh, head coaches in the, since about— Chuck Noll probably started there in about 1970. So three leaders from 1970 to 2018. Truly remarkable.
1: So do you think then for, I guess what I'm kind of getting from that is that for teams maybe in general, less than athletes, it's more about, are you already a fan? So you're going to like their branding? Are you predisposed to have a positive reaction to the decisions that team makes and and how it aligns itself?
0: So this this is one of the key things about sports. Sports organizations all have marketing groups. And they invest heavily in their marketing groups. They have CRM systems. They analyze all the data they can find in terms of customer satisfaction and customer retention. But here's the dirty little secret: What impact does marketing have on the bottom line of teams? I'm sure they have some, but how does that how does that impact compare to the impact that occurs based on whether or not that team wins? And and you added something to it is like you know. So some of this seems to come from just where you happen to be. Like you're a fan of a given team. And so sports fandom is driven by, you know, aspects of community, where you're born, who your folks rooted for. Uh, It's driven by the success of the team. And then, you know, maybe a little bit on the margin is where the marketing group comes in. I actually think that is, uh, and and again, I'll make a lot of comments referencing the MBA, Masters of Business Administration world today. I think that's something that a lot of marketing people overlook is – just how much of success is driven by quality relative to marketing as marketers by training we all want to say oh you get the you know you get the right marketing campaign and that's going to drive things but if you think about who's really successful in the world even outside of sports a lot of times it's truly the it's truly the the great products or the products that are great for what they're trying to be
1: one question again you touched on it a little bit but more than any kind of generic consumer brand Sports have just more fandom, there's more passion behind it. But if you consider the deals between athletes and non sports related brands, do you see any specific brands or product categories that are specifically uh, successful there in terms of those kind of pairings?
0: What do you mean? So, uh, categories that have really done well with specific endorsers? Sure, yeah. I hate to keep coming back to the, the same example, but you know, Michael Jordan and Nike. Is a is a great example of that.
1: Well, so Michael Jordan. And, I mean, Nike isn't. That's an obvious pairing because mm-hmm. Nike's a sports brand. But what about the Michael Jordan McDonald's? and ballpark franks <laughs> <laughs> or that? Yes, sure. <laughs> and
0: this is this is a good topic, and we can go beyond even the notion of branding because one of the things that happens, you know, because there's so much passion surrounding sports, you tend to see a lot of people trying to jump in on the periphery, right? So we're um, we're sitting here in the city of Atlanta. And you know, the start of every football season, I think there's usually a Falcons promotion that you know, where you get a Falcons cup as you go through the drive-through, right? And so, yeah, on, on some level, it's like, well, why is one brand trying to connect itself to another brand? Where where do the Falcons play? They play at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. So why are these brands all trying to kind of get on top of on top of each other and sort of create this kind of layered system? And I think, it, I think you're right in terms of some of the stuff we're talking about. There's so much passion. There's so much engagement. I might also use the, the word identity. So it's a very rare product where I'm just looking at some of the brands in the audience, and I see some, uh, I see some cans. Uh, I see some Fritos and some cans of Coca-Cola. It's relatively local Sweetwater brewery company. <laughs> and it, but it's very rare that people want to say, look, I'm a Coca-Cola fan. Right. I'm a Fritos fan. Right. But but in terms of how people think of themselves, I'm a Falcons fan or I'm a Braves fan or I'm a UGA Bulldog fan. That, that, that's something much more fundamental. And so other brands want to tap into that. They want to get that that halo effect. They want to get that connection to bring it back to their brand. You know mcdonald 's wants to get a little of the NFL franchise's glow associated with their product, you know so so you 're right if you 're selling basketball shoes, you want a world class basketball player because he 's bringing the expertise and the credibility to that, but beyond that, you also you often want to bring in an athlete to get that that good feeling or that positive that positive affect okay
1: yeah, great answer okay i 'm going to pivot a little bit, so today happens to be election day. Um, and I was reading an article earlier this week, that, an Emory News article that you were quoted in, and you mentioned that when you consider a successful team or a successful athlete, considering a ses- successful candidate is a natural extension of that. So can you expand a little bit on what you were discussing in that article?
0: Sure. When I think about uh, part of the reason why I like to focus on fandom, sports fandom, is because I think that's, a, that's an element of consumer behavior that you can take to a bunch of different places okay and so there is consumer loyalty in a lot of categories fandom just ends up being a special one because it tends to be so much more intense another area where you probably get equal intensity is in the political realm okay and you know you do you can almost do a little thought experiment it's like hey if i tell someone your soft drink is stupid they don't care right right but if i tell them that their political party is stupid I'm getting a little more upset, right? If I tell them that their football team or their basketball team sucks, you know, the, the, these quickly veer into fighting words. <laughs> and so I, I think there's a natural, I think we can learn something by studying these kind of extreme example of consumer behavior. Politics is just kind of a fun one for me. The other thing that I like about politics is I do quite a bit of work, not just on the fan side, but also on the player side. And so models, you know, people might call it sort of Moneyball type analyses. So models of who's going to be the, you know, the most successful uh, striker for a soccer team or second baseman for a, for a baseball club, we can take some of those same type of techniques and apply it to the realm of politics. And so, you know, I mentioned that we, I, I teach a course on sports analytics. What I'm really teaching is a course on, um, I'm really teaching a business course. And what I focus in on that is methods and techniques for thinking about how human entities are going to behave, so whether it's you know fans or it's soccer players or second basemen it's going to be the same technique as if we're talking about customers, executives, salespeople and and so it's um, it's just to me a very natural extension to start to talk about politics as well it's also a, you know one of the reasons why I like to do this stuff. Is think about what I'm emphasizing. I, I, I do articles talking about who the best sports fans are, or I do articles talking about you know politics. It's stuff that gets people fired up, gets people gets people incredibly angry and incredibly passionate.
1: So. Yeah, um, I think that's a really cool connection within this current political climate and moving forward into the future. How important do you think it will be for players? coaches, GMs to take a stand um, on certain political issues. And I don't mean, you know, specific on one side or the other, but just taking a stand in general.
0: I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort of circle around that question without answering it directly because I think I get a lot of these kind of questions and a lot of them focus on the NFL and the Kaepernick kneeling sure. type protests. I used to a few years ago when people would ask me about the NFL and a few years ago, the big issues were uh, concussions and uh, domestic violence, you know, the uh, infamous elevator yep. with Ray Rice. And, uh, you know, my comments were usually that I actually thought the NFL was a bulletproof league. Didn't seem to matter what happened. They were always going to survive. If I'm the NFL, the sort of the per, the current political climate actually scares me quite a bit because you, you've now got a situation where you've got, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to take sides on this at all for the, for the moment. It's like, You've got a protest going on that almost evenly splits your population of fans. If I'm the NFL, God, I don't want to be part of that. And and so I've had people ask, you know, should the NFL be getting into politics? It's like, I don't think, you know, it's it's not like the NFL had a choice, right? It's like politics entered the NFL. You know, politics is kind of, it's like growing like a weed at this point in terms of hitting every element of the culture and i think it's really kind of a scary situation for for the teams that you know suddenly do you want to have your you know politics or teams have if you kind of go in old school they were the atlanta team or the chicago teams and everyone in those cities rooted for them i think we're in a situation where you could almost imagine oh that's a republican team Oh, that's a democratic team. For the teams, I think it's incredibly worrisome. And, uh, you know, if I add my two cents as a society, I think it's also kind of a frightening trend for someone with, let's say, 51 years on the planet in terms of how a lot of things seem to be splitting up into, you know, Team Red versus Team Blue.
1: One more follow up Do you have thoughts on the way that the NFL has handled certain issues versus the way the NBA has handled them?
0: it's a tough thing. I definitely have opinions on that. I have a lot of sympathy for the way the NFL has handled it. I think, I think the NFL has tried to negotiate kind of a middle ground. And, and again, as I, as I say that, I would imagine that almost everyone in the world is upset with me. Right. And that, you know, cause most people, and this is the beautiful thing about fandom, right? When you've got so much passion for your side versus the other side, that it's hard to see a middle ground, you know? So I think the owners and the Players have tried to come up with something that, and why I think it's kind of a middle ground is absolutely no one is satisfied. Sure. Whereas the NBA has kind of gone. um, I I think the the NBA has sort of gone all in. I think the NBA is a fascinating league in a lot of ways. Where because I almost associate the NBA almost as more of a pure entertainment product, where you know the the athletes like LeBron are, are the equivalent of pop stars. Yeah. at this point and so in a in a in an absolutely star driven league like the nba is the nba almost doesn't have a choice either they've got to align with who their stars are because they're the one they're the ones that actually drive the bottom line
1: yeah that's fair um okay so let's shift away from that and move into a talk about personal brand for nba so like you said we've got a group here of Several MBA students that are either just passionate about sports or actually looking to go into a career in sports. We've gathered a couple different questions to get your thoughts about how we can best do that. Um, so let's start with this. Um, as we start to try and craft our own personal brand and really start thinking about job applications specifically and how we will answer questions in interviews, do you think there's any lessons that we could take from athletes or other figures in the sports industry as as we start to craft those answers?
0: I don't think you want to limit it to athletes. So, I mean, okay. if you think – you know, athletes are a great example because they're such a um, – there's sort of a nice kind of discrete unit that you can look at and it's something that you can kind of get your head around and think about what they've done and how that, those lessons can be applied. I think if you're talking about athletes, maybe the, maybe the best example and sort of the best, le- best lesson that you can learn, and, and I'll throw this out there totally to you guys as um, future MBAs, is to be great, to really be the best at some aspect of the game that you want to play. To go all in, because if we think about who the, the athletes that we know as brands are, they are the top of their field, right? And, and so if you're going to do that, you've you, you got to be the, um, you want to develop that brand, you go all in on that brand. That might seem almost too cliched, but the world tends to, and, and it's, it's a funny thing, because the MBA degree, for those of you listening, is generally described as a, a generalist degree, right? So it's that you're going to be a general manager, Okay. I think the people that end up really being successful or achieving true kind of greatness or notoriety are the people that say, I'm going to commit to something very specific and I'm going to be the best at it in the world. So I think that's an important lesson from sports. And it might not be the right lesson for what someone wants, right, out of life. You know, because to be the, you think about who's going to be at the top of the profession, these are people with no work life balance whatsoever.
1: So. No, I think that's a great comment. And just personally, as I did interviews this summer, one note that I got was, you know, it's not enough to get this job just because you're a yeah. fan. You cannot just be a fan of the sport of basketball and be good at this job. So
0: it might be the worst thing that you can say in a sports yes. interview that I'm a fan. I didn't say that. Yeah. But. No, but, it, but but it might it might be. Yeah. You know, they want people that are great and passionate about customer service and you know, CRM and finance, so not on, people that want to go to the games. Right. Yeah. So
1: on that note, um, as, as we try to pinpoint skills that are going to help us mm-hmm. um, not just be fans, can, what are your top skills that we can start to improve upon now um, to make sure that we're prepared for these roles?
0: Sure. And, you know, let me, let me add something to that, too, because when we're talking about the realm of sports, one of the things that I hear a lot about, especially at the undergrad level, is the idea that I want to be a general manager. Okay, so I want to do the. I want to be the Billy Bean guy. I want to be Theo Epstein. I want to, you know, I want to be the guy that's um, you know putting together the the lineup. And I think that's a great example to think about because think about how few jobs there are. You want to be a general manager of a professional team, you know, you are going to choose one sport to specialize, and then you got about thirty shots. There are thirty of those jobs in the world. Okay, yeah. and so then you've got to really set yourself apart. You know, you got, you got to be something special. And, and so, look, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of keep it simple. So when I think about what makes for a successful person in the world of business, I think, um, well, I'll sort of emphasize one thing right off the bat, and that's analytical skills. So being the person that can solve problems you know having the ability to actually work with data in this rapidly changing world where there's more and more data now maybe you you, you're not gonna be a data scientist but having enough skill in terms of working with data and statistical models or whatever the techniques are you know that's one way and and that's one really worth emphasizing cuz that's one place where you can really set yourself apart you know most people are not gonna want to do that the other thing that I would really emphasize is this notion of storytelling and that might seem like a strange one to follow up, you know, go go all stats, and I want you to be storytellers too, is that, you know, what you're going to do in your career is that you're going to actually try and get your way. You're going to try and get your way by proving things with data, but you're also going to get your way by making the most compelling case. So being able to tell that story that's going to resonate with people and convince people. There's a lot of analysts in the world that run models all day and they bring their modeling results and their statistical results to decision makers. And about you know two weeks into their career, no one wants to listen to them anymore, being able to see the big picture and tell the big story.
1: I think those are great. When we talk as groups, who are, um, groups of students who are looking into these roles um, and also as we speak with people in the industry, we often hear that sports teams... Don't yet value the business spot, business side as much as they could, and specifically MBA type candidates and skills. Do you can you think of any ways that as we're starting to interview and as we continue to network with people in the industry that we could help change that perce- perception?
0: Okay, and that's a great question as a follow up to the last one. So if you want the sports world to be willing to pay you guys MBA money, okay, right? and I think that's a that's a key point then you've got to be something special, right? So you've got to have developed some portfolio of work that tells them this person is head and shoulders above anyone out there, right? So we're going to bring them in, and we're going to pay them at, again, I'll sort of use this phrase, MBA levels. You've got to be you've got to demonstrate that you are a can't-miss superstar prospect most of the time when people enter the world of sports it is through something like phone sales okay and and literally this might be a fifteen dollar an hour job okay not nothing wrong with that but it's not consistent with what a top 20 mba is looking to make if you want to work your way up from kind of the standard approach and i think that might be some of the issue that It might not be so much that they don't value the MBAs. It's just historically that's not where people have come from. People have come from sales, frontline operations, and grown into those roles. So it's a matter of are you willing to pay the dues and work your way up, or can you figure out a way to differentiate yourself from the very beginning?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point. Okay, so I think I have one last question about careers in this industry. So, um, as we look at what our options are and we create our, you know, target company lists, do you have thoughts on non-traditional ways to get in the sports industry? So maybe not a team, um, not a league. Are there other kind of side? Um, ways to get into this industry,
0: well, you know I referenced earlier on that I think a lot of times when I meet students, particularly undergrads, they want to be general managers. I think that's like that's the most common dream I think for the the sports management major now we don't do a sports management major at Emory. We have some sports offerings. Very quickly, though, it's like, well, how do I get my foot in the door? Well, I get my foot in the door being, you know, sales or human resources or or something. So that's the traditional way. Now, to be honest with you, I've not seen a lot of MBAs go into sports in my time at Emory. And I think a lot of that has to do with the the fact that it really is a pretty significant passion discount that you're going to have to take if you want to go down that path. Where I do see people going into it is on the... I don't really know that I want to say it's on the periphery, but, you know, you go work at Coca-Cola and you work on the sponsorship side or you go to SunTrust or you go to, um, you know, Home Depot and you work in a marketing role that then you end up you know, being part of the, the team that is working on the game day college football sponsorship, or you go, uh, and I'm, I'm naming Atlanta companies here for those of you listening, or you go to Chick-fil-A and you get involved in some of the Chick-fil-A's, you know, college football sponsorships. So there's a ton of opportunity on the brand side, and that's where I think the vast majority of people tend to end up now the other the other big one i think where you can uh, and we've got again a lot of good local connections in atlanta is to something like turner sports Yep. So, working on let's say more of the enter- entertainment side of the sporting equation, the production side. So, I, I think there's a bunch of opportunities. I think everyone sort of starts with the idea of, well, I want to run the New York Yankees and make sure that they win a World Series, and then we start project working back from there, and we realize, oh God, you know, I can I can go work at McDonald's and um, you know work on dealing their national sponsorship deals, right? So there's there's tons of opportunities. And, and it, but it's an interesting one because, in some ways, you're making the decision of how close do you want to be to the game.
1: Can you dig in a little bit on how things change as you get closer to the game? So, pace of the work, type of work you're doing.
0: I think these guys all work like madmen. Uh, you know, I, and I think it. You know, maybe some of it is a. Um, it's a sports culture that you go. You go 110 percent, right? And and so. I think most of the, even the marketing guys that, that I know and, and the analysts on the side, there's always more work to do, right? And, and and it makes sense, right? I mean, you guys as MBAs, you guys have a few years of work experience. You know, th- there's no end to the amount of work, the number of questions that a vice president of marketing or a chief operating officer can answer, right? They always want more facts. And so, you know, the, the, the people doing the work, it's always going to be, it's always going to be endless, and so even though you think well, sports got an off season and an on season, I don't think there's any I don't think there's any off season I mean, think about the city of Atlanta, what's happened the last couple of years. There's new venues, one of the teams has moved from Atlanta to Cobb County. Think about moving from Atlanta to Cobb County. That creates all sorts of analyses that you're going to want to do, understanding how the traffic is going to impact consumers, understanding how you're trying to figure out how you're going to move someone that was sitting at the old ballpark to where they're going to sit at the new ballpark, trying to move tickets when the team is rebuilding to, you know, it's a never-ending thing. So the work pace is truly intense in the sports industry.
1: Okay, great. Okay, so I think now, like we mentioned earlier, we've got an audience today from our games club at Emory. A
0: very well-behaved and quiet audience. Thanks, guys. Very (laughs) quiet audience.
1: So we are going to open it up for um, our audience members to come down and ask questions.
0: Hey, Professor Lewis. (laughs) I had a quick question. Um, I've heard even on the team side, you know, franchises, working for franchises, there's sort of a business side, and then there's the sports side. And I'd like to know your thoughts on kind of the differences working on sort of the business side of, of the team and, and the sports side of the team. Yeah, a- absolutely. And it's, uh, it, it's an interesting question, right, because I said earlier that – you know, one of the funny things about marketing for teams is that you know you can do the best advertising campaign in the world, and it's not going to compare to putting a winning team on the field. So, in in some ways, the marketer in me wants to go, "Oh God, you know, the the quality of the team—that's a marketing decision, right?" It's like, so it's like, I'm, if I'm the Los Angeles Lakers, God, I feel like the marketer in me wants to say, "Well, yeah, bringing LeBron there—that's a marketing thing, right?" I, I, but I think people in the industry would look at me like I'm crazy. Mm-hmm. Right, that there's there's the there's the there's the player side and then, and then there's the business side. This is just a little bit. I don't want to generalize too much. You know, in general, I think there's going to be more opportunities on the business side, mm-hmm. right? I mean, how many guys are analyzing players in terms of performance? Now, I'll be honest with you guys. That side of the business has grown dramatically over the last few years. You know, I, I don't want to quote numbers, but I think with some of the local teams, we've seen. In the last five years, maybe the number of people doing, let's say, the Moneyball stuff, increasing like fivefold. Okay, so a lot more activity on that on that side. But most of the opportunities probably are going to be on the marketing side. Thanks. Okay. Hi, Professor. How So, I so just like to hear your opinion on. Um, so you mentioned LeBron, and of course, you mentioned how a lot of the best players, a lot of these great players, have a big brand. But I'd like to also hear your opinion on. Uh, players who are also great, like Kawhi Leonard for the Raptors or Demetrius Johnson, who was with the UFC prior as a fighter, but who aren't as known um, for being as outspoken. So how do these players, how do you brand players who are great? Those are a couple of interesting brands, right? I mean, so Kawhi Leonard was coming out of, uh, you said the Raptors. I think I still have yeah, haven't fully adjusted. I want to say San Antonio right and so a guy that's playing in a small market though a market that gets some attention you know the the branding challenges are going to be they're going to be more significant right Um, not playing a lot on not not playing a lot on national TV though I mean again San Antonio is a little bit different I do think you know, in some ways, the, the, the Leonard thing is a, that's, um, you, you almost wonder if some of this is personal as well, right? Is there actually an effort to develop that brand or is that something that the, the, that the guy actually wants? The other one, um, wh- wh- who did you mention? So there was a, there's a, a great fighter, um, Demetrius mm-hmm. Johnson. He's also- Mighty Mouse? Yes. Yeah. He's yeah. also like Kawhi, not as outspoken, um, not as uh, involved with media. Yeah, and so for those of you listening, so uh, Mighty Mouse was... What, what, do you know what weight he was fighting at? He was fighting at one of the lower weights, and that was one of the main reasons why. I mean, really small. I, yes. I want to say you're talking about a 130-pound guy, maybe even smaller than yes. that. And, and so, you know, in the, in the world of combat sports, so, you know, we're t- he's talking UFC, but in the world of combat sports, you know, the, the the thinking has long been that people wanted to see the bigger athletes, right, the heavyweight championships. I don't know that that's actually continued, right, where you've got, you know, Connor McGregor is a, at a welterweight division, and Floyd Mayweather at, a, at, again, probably about a less than 150-pound athlete, I want to say, he was fighting at, and the biggest star in that division now is, uh, you know, a middleweight in Canelo Alvarez at 160 pounds. Um, But I do think there's – it's more of an uphill battle when the the athlete is smaller. And maybe there's a parallel to when you're operating in a smaller market that you've got to have something to really kind of – that you've really got to – have something to set you apart it's, it's also and I, I have to admit that i'm at a little bit of i and i know both about both of these guys but i don't know how much effort they've actually put into the branding side of it but it's a good question in terms of you know what does the athlete want versus what's actually possible based on where they're operating so. Got okay thanks. cool thank you You guys should say your name too so your parents can uh, pick it up <laughs> nice <laughs> my name is chuck Conz. Hey, Chuck. Thanks for uh, speaking with us today. Do you think
1: the group that sold the Atlanta Thrashers to Winnipeg regrets that decision with uh, the success of the Nashville Predators and teams like Atlanta United?
0: That, that was a deal that... Um that, that, that was an interesting deal, and, and it's. I'm not going to claim to have any inside knowledge of. I, I know I know people in the previous ownership group, and I also know you know some of the people in Atlanta sports media that were very outspoken about the ownership group, and so to go back in time. Uh, Atlanta the group that owned the Atlanta Hawks and this is the previous ownership group than the current than the current group also owned the Atlanta Thrashers hockey team. My understanding was that it was a there was very little economic value of that hockey team in Atlanta. And so there was a lot of effort to try and make it, you know, Look, the, the last thing that a professional league wants to do is have one of their franchises be essentially given away or fail, right? And so, you know, the, you know, we talk a lot about the teams as brands. These leagues are brands, too, and these leagues want to be successful and look successful. And so my understanding, and again, not privy to any truly inside numbers, is that that, that team was just not making it in Atlanta. And so somehow, in some ways, the Atlanta market seemed to actually reject Hockey now. I'll I'll say this. I'm absolutely fascinated by the Atlanta sports market I, I came down from Chicago, which is more of a traditional sports market where there's You know historically probably a lot more support for the pro teams than in Atlanta But the Atlanta sports marketplace has changed dramatically in the last 10 years in terms of the level of local support I'm not even totally sure why I wouldn't be surprised if um, hockey was something that could be more viable in the city of Atlanta at this point. And I, I think the thing that we always think about in Atlanta now is the, the soccer team, right? And so just how dramatically successful that team has been, that maybe the landscape has, has changed. So do they have regrets? I bet you they do. But, you know, at the time, it just didn't seem like something that could possibly work. Great. Thanks. Hi, Professor. How My evening. name is uh, Alex Johnson. Nice to meet you, Alex.
1: You touched a little bit about analytics on the sports side, so scouting and research and development, but on the business side, what are maybe some of the initiatives you're seeing that you're really excited about? I've noticed from the outside, a lot of clubs are kind of morphing their business operations into business strategy and analytics or business intelligence. You know, I'm sure they're leveraging a lot of data from mobile apps. I mean, what are some of the opportunities you see there? What are maybe some of the clubs that that you see that are doing that well?
0: It's tough for me to identify um, teams that are really um, that are doing it well. It's, it's one, one of the interesting things about the industry is that it's it's kind of hard to see, right? So, you know, you have thirty teams in each in each league, and so it's hard for me to know, you know, like you you ask me what are the Toronto Raptors doing in um in terms of ticketing applications and in my answer is like I have no idea right so it's hard to get a sense of like let's say who the true industry industry leaders are i think in general everything has kind of gone in the same direction now one of the things that you guys as as students you know attending an MBA program in 2018 have probably picked up a lot, is that the world of data and the world of analytics truly has changed. And that it's gotten, I mean, people will use like the phrase, the democratization of data, okay? So one of the things that's changed over time is, you know, back in the day, this stuff was really hard to do. And I don't know how common this is for for MBA students, but... Well, and I'll say this: you know, let's add this to the career advice. If you want to work at a team and you want to do have some any sort of analytical role, you better bring some skills to that, and skills in particular related to programming skills. So things like R and Python. Someone actually, someone in the esports industry actually told me that R was essentially dead and go to Python. I don't know. If you have if you're a decent Python programmer, and now you have access to all sorts of data then suddenly you can just about do anything. You know, you've got access to all sorts of statistical packages, to machine learning packages. And so what you're going to see is essentially everyone moving towards, and this term is usually misused, but bringing in artificial intelligence tools to every type of customer problem they can, right? So we can apply AI. I know, I know one of the local teams is bringing in some AI folks to work on their sales... Um, Their sales stuff. So, you know, essentially the AI routine will identify some key things in terms of the phone sales efforts and they'll get real time guidance on that stuff. Probably not, you know, giving you the right answer in terms of benchmarking who the leaders are. All I can really say is I think it's all going in one direction and it's all going in sort of a technical, sort of very data driven uh, direction. Now, I will add to that that I do think there's an open question out there in terms of how much and and actually this this goes beyond the world of sports how much real value is there as we keep doubling down and doubling down in terms of the amount of data we look at in the statistical models we build in the ai and the machine learning how much actual incremental value is coming out of those things yeah great thanks thank you okay well thanks guys um so like i said this was a bit of this was a bit of an experiment and you know, to, to reiterate, you know, one of the things that we're trying to do, and when I say we, I'm, I'm almost talking about the royal we here. When I think about MBA programs, I'll sort of leave it on a, on a bit of a soapbox here. When I think about MBA programs and I think about what we actually deliver to, to students, you know, I think the world is something that's changing rapidly and we've had a little bit of that discussion in terms of you know people moving more towards data and, and analytics. I think just about everyone in every industry is saying god the world is changing. I suspect that the MBA and the university world is changing as well and so one of the things that we're trying to do I started off I think this was before the mics were on I talked a little bit about the class I offer in terms of sports analytics and emphasizing we do a lot of work with projects with um, sort of applied things with the local sports organizations we try and do some innovative stuff in terms of how we present results almost you know using science fair type formats and, and even this podcast I think is part of let's call it my experimentation where the world is where the world is going. And so what do university professors do? We develop content. The question then becomes how do we actually distribute that content? So days like this, talking to you guys as a group and doing it with the mics on so we can, you know, package this and put it out there for MBAs, not just at Goys Weta, but just about everyone, it's something we're we're, 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 experimenting with and we, you know, and I hope you guys got some value out of it. Thank you, Taylor.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me. Okay.
0: Thanks guys.